Welcome to the Everyday Citizens Tactical Podcast, Episode 18, Industry and Development. My name is Jeremy and I will be your host. Today I'm joined by Dan Matera, a Marine Corps veteran and the account manager of HRT Tactical. Today we discuss the process and development of gear on the industry side and where the culture of gear is going. So, let's dive in. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder yeah. Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward yeah. Strength in numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down and I'ma Welcome back to the podcast, everyone, and Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, this is his first podcast, everybody, so take it easy on him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Daniel, you want to go ahead and uh, introduce yourself for those that do not know you? Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> my name is Dan Matera. I am HRT Tactical Gear's account manager, so uh, I handle like our retail side. I've done a lot with our law enforcement and like contract side of the house. Um, I've been there for a little bit over two years now. I was the first full-time hire actually. So it's a, I've been enjoying some of the growing of a company like that into the stage of needing multiple full-time hires. Um, because of the size of the company, I have a hand in product development. I have a hand in obviously the sales aspect of the company. And then I manage a lot of the background, even into some of like the accounting figures and material issues and finding new brands and such to bring on board. Um, it's kind of a blessing and a curse just because of our size. We end up doing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I come from a Marine Corps military police background um, and a weird caveat Ooh. to that. I know. Right. So um <laughs> It sounds bad, but I was in the reserves, so double boo. Boo. Um, I need right. a boo button. <laughs> yes. But that meant that we didn't do police stuff. So we got, it was kind of cool to get trained in law enforcement stuff, but then I never checked a single ID. I never sat in a cruiser again. Um, we played with like 50 cows and saws and gun trucks, and um, we did more field stuff. Uh, so that actually was nicer. I got to do more of what I wanted, but also it could be like, hey, I have a law enforcement experience. But it was just like, you know, training stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that actually played pretty well into with the work that I do now because I've got experience for the field side. And I also have a limited amount of experience on the law enforcement side to kind of relate to our customers and what their needs are. So you might have breezed over it uh, very briefly, but h- how did you get involved with HRT? Oh, man. So I was working at a um, mechanical engineering firm. I was doing HVAC work and I was dying. It just was not my thing, sitting behind a desk, uh, staring at computer screens and doing calculations and then doing air balance reports on new projects at like building sites and stuff. It it was cool, but it just wasn't my thing. And my wife was like, look, you are becoming a horribly depressed, mean person. We need to find you something that you love. Mm. And so we started praying together about what that looked like for our future and what what uh, career opportunities there were and HRT just happened to be posting up that they needed a customer service rep. And I was like, man, it's been forever since I've done that kind of thing. I actually worked at the gun counter for Gander Mountain, if anybody remembers that. Okay. Uh, Way back in the day, I worked there for three years on the gun counter. It's where I learned kind of where I got into the firearms industry originally. And 
I was like, that sounds cool. I'd, I'd enjoy doing that. I like some of their products. Um, they're a Columbus, Ohio based company, which is uh, less than 30 minutes from where I live. So, I mean, it can't hurt. And I sent an application. We chatted, uh, we had like two separate interviews and they're like, you're exactly what we're looking for. You've got, you've got the experience. You're on the tail end of your Marine Corps time. Um, we can use the knowledge you've got and the experience you've got and, and this would be a great fit. And then so I got started at that, and then I think it was like three months in, they're like, hey, you're like rocking this out of the park with customer service stuff. We'd like to make you focus more on sales and not just answering, just answering like customer emails and stuff. So that's when I really took over um, seeking other customers and attending like vendor shows and things like that. And that's where I really started getting into the nitty gritty of the company. Awesome. Uh, how long has how HRT been around? HRT is actually high risk training is the, what the HRT stands for. It is not hormone replacement therapy. Like I get grilled for, <laughs> um, and they started back in 2008 doing training right outside of Wright Pad Air Force Base in Dayton. So that's where a lot of guys come from. We had a lot of okay. instructors, a lot of military related, um, staff. And so you started doing that, but then around the 2016 era, they were like, Hey, every time we get gear, we're modifying it to fit our needs. And that means piecing together a whole bunch of other systems and things that don't exist. And what if we made our own designs? Mm -hmm. And so that is where HRT tactical gear came from. So it's the same people, but we just stopped doing the training as much because we got so busy with the gear and they started designing product um, gear wise that they wanted to see on the market. And that is where HRT tactical gear came from. So that was around 2016. And then I'm sure you're familiar with Warrior Poet Society, John mm -hmm. Lovell, took a short review of some of our products and absolutely loved it. And that's really what catapulted us into, uh, it was like an overnight transition. And that's why they hired me. Cause they're like, look, we got part-time people who are coming in to do emails and we just can't keep up. Yeah. <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. I think I remember probably like right around four years ago, it was probably, you know, a good two years before COVID maybe right around that time frame. I think the first time I ever saw anything HRT was with, uh, the prep medic on YouTube. Yes. Cause he yeah. rocked some HRT gear. And then I also saw warrior poet society. And then from there on, yeah, it definitely seemed like I just started seeing HRT more and more often. So that's mm -hmm. awesome. Good for you guys. Yeah. It's really cool. I'm mean, exciting part to come on as just like a small company as it's really hitting that exponential growth stage to just learn and, and be a part of a pretty cool design and development process. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, it's, the today's focus is to kind of be more on the industry and how things get developed and whatnot. And you guys being somewhat newer to the game as, as far as the large scale of things goes and, and mm -hmm. your individual experience, I think this will be perfect. Um, kind of one of the first things I want to talk about is the culture of gear and how you've seen it change from the time <laughs> you've kind of started and maybe even when HRT tactical gear kind of started to where we see it now. Because really since COVID started, um, and we see it a lot with like T-Rex Arms and Haley Strategic and other companies mm -hmm. like that, you know, things change really rapidly. Yes. Um, it's actually really cool on to see that from a couple of perspectives. Obviously, I, I referenced getting my start in the, with the Marine Corps and I wish, I wish desperately that we had the culture. And this was... 2015s when I joined and I desperately wish that we had the same type of culture then as we do now as it relates to gear because the stuff that like 
for example, Blake talked about in the last podcast and the things that he's done with like Orion training and there's a constellation group, which is a, a bunch of Marines doing stuff to better Marine Corps leadership individually and help them with gear. Mm-hmm. That stuff didn't exist. I mean, we were getting, you know, you're weaving your Molly to put your magazine pouches on the front and then you're getting yelled at because today we're driving Humvees and you got to strip all that off. And you're like, yeah, I just spent the last 30 minutes weaving all these pouches on here and getting all my stuff in the right spot. And I got to take it off because I happen to be in a truck today. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so, I mean, you got like shock concepts doing all kinds of things to, to make these gen three carriers, like the next level gear. And that just didn't exist. And so I'm excited seeing like, and HRT obviously has a, an aspect of that and a part of that, but just the ability for these companies to really focus on making what works best for the end user and still being a modular system, still be a durable system, but really make it where the user has the flexibility and not just you're stuck wearing this gigantic 25 pound kit that we say looks okay and you're just stuck with it. And you're right. The culture years ago, you know, cause I was also in, in 2015 and, and on past that, a lot of commanding officers and even some on the enlisted side that have been around a while, they they weren't quite gear savvy. I guess I could, no. I could call it. They were <laughs> they were very stuck in. This is what SIF gave you. This is the SOP that someone random yes. uh, made up from headquarters unit, and um, this is what everybody's going to wear. Right. Um, some of the grunts and whatnot didn't necessarily get stuck with some of that. Maybe if you had a cool, uh, you know, like JTAC. S6 officer or something, you maybe got away with stuff. But I mean, for the most part, yeah, they were they were kind of gear Nazis all around. I definitely oh, yes. experienced my fair share of that, which which really sucks because you know what you talk about in 2015, we just kind of started to see the cusp of the real change that was coming as far mm-hmm. as the commercial gear market goes. Because um, yeah. you know, by the time you know 2019, 2020 was around, you know, I was getting ready to get out of the Marine Corps. The civilian market of gear had had completely changed, yes, <laughs> in its entirety, and then since COVID, um, I, I feel like it continues to change, and, and I think that's more of like the culture side from the civilian aspects, and mm-hmm. I think they really drive a lot of the market. Oh, absolutely! You can watch trends in the military and law enforcement begin back in the competition world and three gun stuff, and then give it two, three years, and suddenly all the Marines are out here rocking 30-degree angled pouches because they saw it in a competition shooter and they saw it on some video on YouTube, and wow, it actually works. Mm. Absolutely tied to that. Plus, you know, you can tailor gear for a lot more markets when it comes to civilian than you can military. Absolutely. Because, again, you know, they want one thing, everybody's got this, so on and so forth, but you could have... 10,000 people that like this style of belt and then 10,000 people that like this style of belt and then 10,000 people that like this style of belt in this color. And you know, it's, it's, it's a never, <laughs> it's a never ending thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's cool ahead. though. I'm excited to see that culture shift. I've, I've dealt with some of it in the law enforcement realm where we've tried to help set up some of our like SWAT teams and things like that, especially in Ohio. And they'll be like, you know, these plates are three and a half pounds and they'll stop the five, five, six. I'm like, yeah, then they're NIJ certified. They'll stop that round. And then they go in, they're like, chief, you'll never believe this. We can stop wearing those steel plates that weigh 20 pounds. And the chief goes, well, that's what I did back in the nineties. So that's what you guys are going to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing that bothers me no- more 
especially going from the marine side to the fire side, and I'm still exposed to a lot of police stuff. Oh, yes. Is that people who just either A, ignore the future and the change of gear, or B, just don't understand it, and they, for some reason, dictate what the department buys. Yes. That, that, that really bothers me, especially in this day and age when there's so much information out there on what is actually viable and what is actually you know, built to fit your mission set. And they're just like, well, this is blah, blah, blah. And the guy sweet talked to me and it was in a cool video. So this is what we're going to It's like, <laughs> that is not good product. Correct. Um, but so what I kind of want to dive into is the process, because a lot of people see the cool videos on Instagram and YouTube and but they, they never really see how gear comes to fruition. So, you know, as much as you can discuss, you know, what does a development process look from the industry perspective when we're talking about introducing new gear? Yeah, so we're actually um, perfect timing for you to bring that question up because we just a couple weeks ago had our big meeting for 2023 of what are we kind of trying to work on and release this year mm-hmm. and what uh, goals do we have as far as product wise. So, and we've done, I've been a part of a number of the processes so far, but this will be my first year of really taking charge of a specific product. Mm -hmm. But we generally start with, I mean, you have to start with an idea and whether that idea is um, customer feedback of, you know, we've got, let's say we get um, 30 to 40 emails of people all saying, I really wish you guys did X. Yeah. That is a clear, you know, the market wants this, the people want this, let's see how we can accommodate that. And unfortunately, a lot of times there's, and I'm sure people will have some product they can think of where it sounds like everybody wants it. And then that product comes to market and no one buys it. Oh, I know. And so that makes it hard for us to like, I want it in, you know, I'll I'll pick on Dylan from uh, Ruthless. He's, I want something in AOR1. Well, that's cool, but no one will buy it because it's going to be like 600 bucks because material costs and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish we could do it. But then there's other times where we have a, an idea and we're like, hey, this will actually work. Let's let's start uh, brainstorming how that'll work. So then we got to evaluate the manufacturing capability. Can we even make that happen? Is there even equipment to make that product? Mm-hmm. Um what types of materials do we need and and so on and then we'll have to figure out how does it mount are we going to use molly or are we going to use a placard or are we going to use um, any number of available mounting systems that are out in the market now and then we get to finally getting a prototype and usually funny enough it's like denim because we're not going to waste the money to make it in some type of colored kodura it's just denim because sure. mm-hmm. it's uh, easier for them to like for someone to cut out and then figure out how to sew it back together. So it kind of makes some of the prototypes look funky because you're like, wait, this is supposed to be like a revolutionary product. It's literally a pair of jeans. <laughs> hey, materials cost money. It do- Yeah, they do. It's a lot. You make a really good point with, and this is not a bash to the customer market. However, you're, you're, you are right when you say people may request something very specific or you may feel like you're getting a lot of feedback and then it kind of just duds out on you. Mm-hmm. I, I see that a lot, even on like the training side of things, like when it comes to locations. Oh yeah. If I get a lot of people that are like, I am within blah, blah, blah of, you know, Indianapolis. I'm in two hours from Indianapolis. I'm an hour from Indianapolis. I'm 30 minutes from Indianapolis. 
and a bunch of people are messaging me. It's like, all right, cool. Let's sign. Let's start a class in this location. And then like three guys sign up, and I'm like, what happened to the 30 <laughs> DMs I had about classes in this location? Right. <laughs> uh, but you're you're right, and, and that's. I feel like that's just kind of part of the game. Um, Definitely. And it sounds like you guys kind of find a way to work your way around that. You know what? But with but with that being said, we have belts, we have play carriers, we have chest rigs. We have pouches. You know, where does the gear market go from here? Obviously, there is something next because we have what we had now, but not 15 years ago and 15 years before that. But where do we go from here? I, you know, I would have I would have sat and pondered that a lot about a year ago and been like, I don't really know, to be honest. But mm-hmm. looking at some of the material advancements that we've got in the last year, um, so one of the exciting parts to my job as a um, self-proclaimed gear whore is <laughs> I get to go to these some of these shows like uh, SHOT Show, a lot of the law enforcement related shows. Um, I think we're beginning to go into like the NRA show and stuff this year as well. We actually already booked our table for that. We get to kind of go out and, and as our job to go look and see what's on the market. And it's not like, a, oh, let me see what I can steal from somebody else. But it's like a... It's cool to see the new hardware, the new buckle systems, the new materials. So Tegris is like insane now. So that's like the hot topic right now is, you know, what can we make stronger, lighter, and more rigid overall, like from top to bottom and side to side? And the answer right now is Tegris. Mm-hmm. Well, two, three years from now, what could that be? Mm-hmm. could be a whole different material, whole different system. I definitely feel like material and then shape of gear has mm-hmm. definitely been the defining factor for about the past two years now. Yes. Uh, Cause you can really only remake a pouch or a plate <laughs> carrier so many times, Right. but how that plate carrier fits or what that plate carrier is meant to do or how that belt sits on your waistline and so forth. I feel like that, that has been the determining factor over the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, and you could easily use, um, and because you have our new rifle pistol pouches. Mm-hmm. Which I um, love, by the way, everybody. The awesome. Rifle pistol pouches are awesome. So I'm not about to walk into a trap here. Um, I originally had, and you've probably got a box of these laying around, you know, those like Eagle Industries pistol mag insert, oh, like yeah. holds an M9 mag. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they're great. Like they work good for what they were, uh, especially, you know, in the you know, mid two thousands and such. There's like, all right, there's nothing really better than this. Well, then you got like S tac comes on the scene with their pouches. Was a big fan of S tac as well. Me too. Was, I've got a bunch of them. That it's, was rev- that was really revolutionary when those came out. Exactly. Well, and as much as I love them, and I've got some, I like this is not a dig on the product itself. I love them, but they have their limitations. Mm-hmm. So when we came out with our system we kind of looked at some of the limitations that an Eagle Industries would have, some limitations that an Stack would have, some limitations that a Haley would have, which I've got all of those, and I love them all in their specific uses. Then we made ours, utilize some specific materials and some assembly processes that made those issues not a problem on ours. Give it three years or less, and someone will have looked at ours and said, I think I can do a better version. Hey, that helps the gear industry, because then we'll innovate Haley will innovate, STAC will innovate. That's one of the beauties of the industry is that 
someone's going to find a deficiency in your stuff that maybe you didn't see initially, they'll fix it. And then everyone's going to have to grow to achieve that same standard level. And I think one of the biggest things that also surrounds the growth and development of the gear industry is it makes things more accessible. Yeah. Because the gear that people own now, both on the military law enforcement side, but also the civilian side, really heavy, the stuff that they own now is nothing like we had years ago and more people have kit. Yes. Um, I think a lot of that goes to the influencer and some companies kind of pushing the the stigma or the change in philosophy and all that kind of stuff that goes with that. Um, but also just gear constantly changing makes older gear somewhat more accessible. So people get that, then they upgrade, gear changes again, and it's kind of like a never-ending cycle. Right. I've got some really old stuff sitting in the in some tubs in my basement, and then I've got some like brand new stuff that's sitting out on top of it. And... I know. I, I just cleared out my old tub the other day. <laughs> I was like, I was like, this is this is ridiculous. I've I gotten into it like ten times in the last year, and everything stays in the tub. I was like, I'm selling this stuff <laughs> off. There's no reason for me to keep this. I could be a tax swap professional at this point from the amount of things that I have found and <laughs> sold on there. There is definitely eBay is is a really good place to go find oh, gear yeah. if you're looking for something. Uh-huh. Especially if something isn't in stock like a like a certain chest rig or you know a placard of some sort and you're like I want this. You can usually go find. It. You might not be able to find it in the pattern or color that you want, but you can at least find it. Right. That's what and I don't know if you're familiar with the the tax swap website, but theirs is it's unbelievable. Anything you want, somebody's got something on there. Um I am not familiar with tax swap. What you're is tax swap? In, you're in trouble. It's sort of the TACSwap.com. Oh, this isn't good. Yeah, it's dangerous. I, I have got all kinds of unique things. I've done some trades with some random people. I've met a lot of people in the community as well. Um, it was Interesting. It's crazy. <laughs> Interesting. That's They'll steal your paycheck. I can see that. I'm going to exit out of that. <laughs> I'm already broke. <laughs> Too many expensive hobbies. Right. Uh, yeah, I feel that. So what, uh, another thing that I kind of wanted to discuss was, uh, I guess, the word for it may be niches. What what makes, you know, HRT and kind of just other industry leaders look at something and go, this is worth diving into? Because earlier you kind of said like, oh, is this material worth it or not? But like what makes them think, even if there's doubt, be like, you know what? We're going to go with this. Um, <clears throat> a lot of it is seeing a, just a wide open hole in a product that you have. Um, sometimes that is a contract. Um, other times it is just looking at, let's say that um, – for example, Eagle, I think Eagle Industries has a, a hand warmer that's like super popular. A bunch of people have used it, but it's like 120 bucks. Mm. All right, so why can't we make one that's cheaper than that? Mm. Like, why would you really need to pay $120 for what's essentially the sleeve of a jacket with yeah. some like soft shell lining inside of it? So sometimes it's just a cost. Like we know that we can do something that is a comparable product that won't break the bank and you can open up a whole market. Like, like the AC1 for... Um, T-Rex, that's a perfect carrier for someone who does not need to carry 30 pounds of gear on their vest. 
But if you give that to, uh, let's say, like an army ranger, he's going to be like, well, this isn't helpful because it's not. Yeah. It doesn't solve my needs. And in that case, something like, I don't want to, I don't want to be a total like, you know, check out all of our stuff, but like our LBAC carrier is a load bearing adaptive carrier. The whole point of the LBAC is load bearing and being adaptive. So if you want to carry 30 pounds, it's a great carrier for it. If you're trying to put a set of HESCO L210s in it and three rifle mags, you've totally overbought. Yeah. So a lot of times it's just seeing a void that people will want, but just can't find. And sometimes it's just a, we'd be stupid to not bring this to market because it's so unique or it's so necessary. Is there any kind of like unwritten rules to the competition market as far as maybe making somewhat of a duplicate or making a cheaper version of something? What is, what does the courtesy kind of look like like that? I'd say on our, I don't can't speak to everyone, but I think that specifically the U S branding, because I know that some um, Chinese companies will just knock off whatever is out there. Yeah. Um, when it comes to like the U S market, I do feel like everyone is pretty good about, if you're going to make something that's comparable, don't just straight up copy it. Mm-hmm. Like make it, make it different, make it have a reason that it's changed. So, you know, we come out with a carrier that has a, a placard front and a Molly back. Awesome. So it's a JPC, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. If that's how you want to look at it, it's the same as every other carrier like that, but we may have changed some specific items from within the construction that will make it better for the end user. So it is not actually a copy of, you know, X, Y, and Z branded stuff. We've changed some things that people have complaints over or that our team had complaints over when they were wearing that vest. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a perfect example of this. Um, Our A-Track carrier is just a literally placard front, molly back, no frills, basic carrier. So you'd call it the same as everything else that's in the market. Mm. Well, when you are moving with your vest and you bend down or you drop down into like a hole or your body compresses in some way where your head brings is brought down or your shoulders come up, you eat that plate sometimes in your teeth. Not very pleasant, right? No. Well, we put a little tiny pad inside there so that you have, it's not much, but it's a little bit of a pad that your, your chin or your jaw might bump into instead of just eating a straight up plate. Interesting. So it's a little design feature. It's a little different piece. Mm-hmm. It's clearly something that's different. Again, you know, it's a placard front with a molly back. It's not like it's really groundbreaking, but that's just one little feature that we may have added and changed that might set ours apart in that one respect. Mm-hmm. And like we said earlier, I mean, there's only so many ways you can make a belt. There's only so many ways you can make a plate carrier. I mean, there. I guess there has to be a general understanding that sometimes stuff's going to look similar. Like that's just... Right. That's just how it is. You can't really revolutionize the plate carrier in its entirely. Right. Entirely? Entirety? <laughs> entirety, yes. Entirety. Words are I can words give sometimes. another good one that is pretty applicable because it's our, our new belt system. If someone wants to look at it, they go, oh, well, that's just an axle belt. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it's not. It's way of attaching to its core is totally different. Its way of attaching the buckle is totally different. The sleeve system that's used is completely different. The only thing it has in common is there's a Tegris core and you could attach a Cobra buckle if you wanted. Mm. And having even talked to one of the designers from the axle belt at SHOT Show, he was very adamant that there was almost no common similarities between the two except for the Tegris core. Mm. 
Yeah, which is just a material. I mean, you, right. You can't nobody really. Has, nobody has rights to a material. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Does, that's a good example just because it's so similar, but it's actually, it's structurally not the same. How has, as far as you said, you guys, you know, you do a lot with law enforcement as far as trying to change the idea of gear and gear standards and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Have the law enforcement side taken well to uh, the new belt? Yeah, actually, we've done, so last year, I think I went to eight different shows. Most of them were in the Midwest. And every time, an off, and then SHOT Show as well, anytime an officer would pick up one, they would just look at us dumbfounded and be like, are you serious? This is, this is the belt. I'm like, yeah, that's the belt. That also has the holster and the magazines on it. So, and some of the shows I could leave them loaded. So I'd have loaded mags in them and they'd be like, this is like half the weight of my current belt. Like I know, and it's contoured, so it's going to feel a lot better when you're wearing it all day. Yeah. And they're like, I need a sample right now. It's crazy to me. I was thinking about this last night standing on the highway during an accident. I was looking at a cop's belt for whatever reason because <laughs> I, I just like to judge cop's gear sometimes. And it it blows my mind just how behind it seems that a lot of like just standard law enforcement belts are. It's oh, all yeah. still that same old material with – Basket over the weave. top pouches for it's just i'm like this can't be comfortable are i know you, it's not comfortable because i used to wear one <laughs> right are you by any chance familiar with uh, guardian warrior solutions I, I am familiar i'm not o- overly knowledgeable okay he has this uh, it's a tegris cutout that will take whatever random pouch that you have that maybe is not molly and will be able to put it on whatever your duty belt is so or or back and forth so let's say you you're in a department that you have to have a basket weave belt, but you want to have a new STAC pouch. Well, good luck, except that he makes this little adapter that's super lightweight, super modular, and will give you those types of connections. So it's bridging the gap between old and the new. And also, um, I'm sure you have put a fixed blade knife on a vest or a belt somewhere and had difficulty with the interface. His product solves that. Gotcha. We had a super long conversation at SHOT Show about just the ridiculousness of some of the department policies and they're getting told they have to wear a basket weave. And in one guy's case, they couldn't have any medical equipment, like no medical equipment. I know none. So they ended up, he told me this story about an officer that was shot and they threw him in the back of the cruiser and took off to the hospital because they had no equipment to take care of him because they weren't allowed and in the car happened to be a tactical vest and the car was cited as evidence and the vest got somebody in trouble because it had a tactical vest with other equipment that was not authorized. Was not that's, on the officer. That's crazy. Yes. See, so, and that's uh, that, like, that's as far as the fire and police service goes. That's the type of stuff that drives me nuts. Because I mean, ge- the the evolution of of gear and, and better equipping people for their job is is one thing but that's just that's just toxic behavior it's i would call it negligence i mean you've got negligence is a good word you've got life-saving officers it's their job to protect life and to like look over life and they're not allowed to have the equipment to do so it's ridiculous that's 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 not in in our state i think ohio is actually really good with that i'd feel that ohio is honestly kind of leading some of the charges in that as far as their law enforcement goes but it's not that far removed from some of the conversations that we've had with our guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know most 
of the departments around here in northern Kentucky, most of the police are pretty good about at least having a tourniquet as part of their standard duty belt. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm, whether it's staged correctly or you know, anything like that <laughs> is, complete, is a completely different conversation, but they do have a tourniquet. I actually emailed, and my wife makes fun of me for this, but I emailed a um, college's safety team once and was like, hey, it was, I was actually at your college for graduation. Um, I was one of the like, visitors and I noticed that the police officer who was directing traffic literally had a fake tourniquet. <laughs> <laughs> and if you guys need some, please let me know. Like, I am not even, this isn't even like an attempt to make a sale. It's probably like 12 of them, but please just get good stuff. Yeah, that's, that's one of the big things that I've really tried to push with our medical program with Everyday Citizens Tactical is, is quality gear. Mm-hmm. You just, you, you can't get away from it. I know it's you need it because the last thing you need is to have your holster fall off in the middle of the time you need it most or your you know belt buckle come flying off mm-hmm. side note i mean you know how many times i've been deleted in the past <laughs> did you see north american rescue got deleted i did yeah that's crazy man how does north american rescue get deleted i i honestly i mean they do post a lot of things that they cover up um so I wouldn't be shocked if somebody enough people reported a post for it being, you know, random people who see it on their feed that don't actually know who NAR is. Um, and then just reporting it enough, which it's still ridiculous. I feel like someone with a brain would recognize it's a medical supply company. Uh, obviously they're going to have content like that. But that just goes to show you, I mean, it's, it's all AI. It does not distinguish oh, yeah. between what you are. No. And I, I'm shocked that I haven't gotten anything. I mean, my social media for work stuff is like, I am not a social media person. I started it um, at the request of some of the company because pretty much everyone in the company has a page. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I have no idea what to post. Like, And <laughs> I, I don't know. Do you know the, um, it's like a, I don't know if it's a real thing. Like, I don't think it's a documented real thing, but it's like the imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I'm like, who cares what I post? Like, I'm just a random guy who just like shooting every once in a while. Like, who really cares about the stuff I post? And so I just don't bother. And but at the same time, there's like random gun pictures and videos that are up there. And I, to my knowledge, haven't had anything uh, throttled or anything, which blows my mind. But I am not safe on the Internet. I get deleted all the time. I'm (laughs) I'm very glad that I'm still up right now. We got the business page back up. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I gotta get gotta get that rolling again. I'm now manage. I now have four phones and a tablet and a laptop <laughs> because everything that I have social media wise is on a different device. So if something gets nuked, it's not. It doesn't all get nuked together. Oh, I mean that's smart. It's kind of stupid. You have to do that. I because you were at um, the Liver Fun Range Day and I had been talking to you and then suddenly I just couldn't get in contact with you. Yeah. It was like it was. It was probably it was. I think it was the week of deliver fun when Chris was like, "Hey, this is your point of contact." Right. And then it was just never mind. <laughs> <laughs> deleted. Which also sucked that I got deleted right before deliver fun because everyone was like, "Oh, what's your social media?" And I'm like, "Don't have one." Yeah, actually, <laughs> I, I I'm not allowed on the internet. Right. Yeah. Which and you've seen all my content now. My content is pretty tamed. Yeah. I wouldn't i mean i had even seen it before the show and i or the event and i would not have called any of it really 
I think someone had a personal beef against your page for some reason because there was nothing. I mean, there are so many other people that are on social media who have got incredibly divisive messages that they're trying to push, whether it's related to firearms or not, and yet they still exist. And somehow your page is just wiped. Someone's jealous of my chickens. That's probably it. Yeah. Or the quads. I mean, it could be either one, I guess. It could be the quads. <laughs> <laughs> I have a really diverse page. I just, everything goes on my page. <laughs> Gym, home setting, firearms, all of it. They're just a well-rounded individual. Something like that. That's all how you look at it. You know, where, because I, I find myself thinking about this quite often as a small business owner. Uh, and I am small. It's pretty much just me and two contractors. <laughs> um, you know, what, and this could be your professional opinion or unprofessional opinion, you know, how do you foresee the foreseeable future as far as the economic outlook goes and the industry as a whole? Because you would think with the way things are going right now, and as tight as people say they are money, things would slow down and we'd have to start doing, you know, cutting back on stuff and whatnot. But at the same time, I know guy, I mean, all of my buddies and whatnot, I mean, everybody's still spending money left and right on gear and stuff, <laughs> which may be just a problem that we have on our own, but yeah. So, um, do we want to roll this into a psychological counseling seminar on <laughs> excess spending? <laughs> I don't want to uh, talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, it was. This has been an interesting year because when I, so you know, anyone who's paying attention to your page has, I guarantee, has heard of, you know, the January sixth insurrection stuff. Oh, um, crazy. That blew up our sales. Really? Oh yeah. I, I mean, any time, and and I saw this back. Do you guys have a? Do you guys have a rep table there? <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was right inside um, in the oval area. I'm not going to – the rotunda space. No. We had a dude wearing a bison hat. You probably saw him. Classic. <laughs> yeah, so we actually um, stopped selling bison hats January 7th just to be safe. But um, So anyway – Anytime I remember going back to like the uh, when Obama got elected that like all of a sudden we couldn't find ammo and guns were flying off the shelves at the gun store and they were joking calling him number one gun salesman in the entire country because I mean they flew off the shelves. Mm -hmm. And so anytime unfortunately it's this cycle anytime someone new steps in or anytime someone with any type of political authority says anything against Second Amendment all of a sudden everyone buys everything. And whether it's was a wise purchase or not. Um, and we saw that happen. And I think a lot of it is wise. Like, it's not a bad thing to have protective gear, but people just went nuts. And then the next year, our numbers were really bad in January. And we're like having meetings like, we don't know why we're doing so bad this year. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't because we were doing so bad. It was just because of what had transpired the year prior. Yeah. And then there was kind of a economic downturn and... I watched a lot of the retailers that we had been working with be like, Hey, we're actually in a spending freeze. So like, we'd love to order more product, but we, we physically aren't allowed to per like corporate policy. Mm -hmm. And that was interesting coming from like some decently large firearm stores and uh, suppliers that were like, yeah, we just can't, 
we can't put an order in now. And most of them are, are back to normal now, but that was a thing during last year that I found out. And then like material has been a nightmare. We're, Oh yeah. We're constantly out of multicam because, um, and oh. if you haven't watched the news, multicam is going somewhere and it's not to us. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like begging to get the material so we can sew things and and this happened with actually ranger green too that's i think your belt was delayed because we didn't have ranger green material to make the pouches gotcha and so we're just sitting here like we got the you know we got the thermoform inserts and we've got the buckles and we've got some of the kadura but we don't have the the ranger green webbing to sew it mm-hmm. so we're just waiting on that product and then when it finally shows up they're like oh yeah and the price increased by 30%. we're like, oh, oh awesome. <laughs> Shipping is what drives me crazy right now. Yes. Because it's extremely inconsistent. Yes. Um, and this is, comes from both the buying perspective of us getting uh, getting material and product and then us selling it out. I mean, my, I, I stopped adjusting our cost of shipping on our website because – I couldn't keep up with the fluctuation that was was happening so much. So I was kind of like, I was like, we're just, I'm just going to have to eat the couple dollars here and there because I don't want to overcharge people because things went down today or for whatever reason, this 16 ounce package costs different than this 16 ounce package yesterday. Right. It's, it's just, it's crazy. And that's an aspect that I, I mean, I was, uh, counter sales at a gun store and then I was in the Marine Corps and then I did HVAC stuff and now I'm sitting here and I'm having these types of conversations about like you know how are we supposed to keep our shipping costs and how are we doing uh, like for example we have a flat rate shipping charge on our website because it's just easier than um, our system just doesn't calculate out rates and just having those types of conversations was not something I was expecting when I got into this role um, and it's crazy because just like you said We've got some things that'll go from Ohio to Virginia and, you know, it's like $7 is, you know, the shipping fee. And yet at the same time, something that goes to Seattle is like $37 Mm -hmm. and they're the same weight. (laughs) We have the same problem with our website too, as far as like being able to calculate exact shipping because we just do flat rates Yeah, we do ours on weight. We have like four weight categories Mm because we put a weight in with all of our products yeah. And sometimes we may be right on the dot. Sometimes I might be like $12 short on shipping. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a crazy game. And then that just kills your, especially for you guys, that just kills your margin, makes it harder for you to do, you know, help out your customers. Yeah. And thankfully we can keep our, our flat rate just low across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like T-Rex does the same. I'm pretty sure there's like seven buck flat rate. Um, yeah. There, I think there's is flat rate. So it kind of it kind of helps even out that cost, but then you know if you're the guy who's jumping on our website to buy a tourniquet pouch, I just feel bad because mm-hmm. I like, know I'm I'm the same way sometimes because like someone will buy like just a ten dollar pouch and shipping's three ninety nine, right? And it's like I wish it wasn't that way, but it is. And as a consumer, oftentimes we don't realize the margins that exist too. Like mm-hmm. you know there are some companies that when I find out their margin, like oh my gosh, that's insane, and then. Uh, we intentionally have a low margin so our prices aren't ridiculous for the consumer. Mm-hmm. And I'll have a retailer that's like, you know, hey, can you guys cut me some slack and give me, you know, 50% off? I'm like, dude, I, we don't have that. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm 
I'm fairly guilty of it as well for our limited product range and really more our classes is that I make our margins shorter because I mm -hmm. want people to either have the product or be able to come to our classes. Right. And my dad, who is uh, a contract instructor for the company, he was a paramedic for a really long time. So he's part of our medical program. Oh, nice. Um, but all the time he's like, this class we're doing is worth so much more. I'm like, it is, but I, I want people to come to this class. And if I charge what this class is really worth, <laughs> less people are going to come. Right. So I would rather people get the experience and get the training and spend less than just significantly drop, you yeah. know, class enrollments. Before Ohio did their um, constitutional carry, I was teaching concealed carry classes monthly with uh, another uh, Marine and prior law enforcement guy. He's actually a writer for concealedcarry.com. Great guy that I met through church. Um, has a huge heart just to see people know what they're doing and, and be safe. And that was his thing. He's like, our classes were 99 bucks and half the time he discount them down anyway. And we were not making money. I mean, it was like enough to pay the insurance that we needed and the range fees and like cover our costs for as the instructors. And that's it. But what we got out of it was tons of people who learned a lot, could actually afford to come out and take the class and then went forth being safe and many times coming back for extra instruction just because they felt like they'd gotten a good value and appreciated the instructors. And that's kind of where it's worth its weight in gold is developing uh, a long, I don't want to, it's partner's not the right word, but you know, some long time support, some long term support. Yes. Um, you know, because they, they had a good experience the first time and, you kind of gave gave a little bit for that, right? Um, it goes a long way. <laughs> it does. I'm not going to say any names is specific, but I was curious if you see it from your side of the industry. How do you guys have problems with what would be the word? I wouldn't say unprofessional, just disorganization with uh, companies or other producers or anything. So I give you an example, like for in, in 2022, when I was trying to develop our 2023 training schedule, mm -hmm. we are significantly lower on class locations than I wanted us to be because all throughout the region in like Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, so on and so forth, you know, I'd be contacting ranges and other facilities and whatnot. And it just seems like communication was communication was poor or non-existent at all and just it seems like just random people kept getting put into positions they shouldn't have been in. So I was just curious if you see that on your side too. <laughs> um, there definitely is um, both with other companies. And then we even had some instances within our own of just like, I think especially right now people are, it's hard to find work. I mean, a great example, we have had an open position for a sewer or a seamstress for a little bit over a week now. And we've had like two applicants. Um, so that means that our pond to get like the most professional person in the market is pretty low. Mm -hmm. um, we recently, a couple months ago, brought on a um, new guy in the shipping uh, department. And he's, he's phenomenal. Like 
totally changed the culture at our office to bring this guy in, uh, replacing the last person who was there. Mm. Um, but we only had like five applicants. And so you feel like a lot of businesses are stuck with, and we lucked out, like this guy's excellent. I mean, he's the reason that everyone gets their orders so fast and Mm -hmm. so accurate. I mean, he's a rock star and he's taken over a lot of responsibility in the company. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of companies are not getting that type of potential. Mm -hmm. And it shows when they've got their customer service people. Um, I don't want to toot our own horn too much, but we've got, we've had a history of phenomenal customer service people and we've gotten known for it and people brought that up and pointed out. I mean, I get consistent feedback from our retailers. Like you guys are one of the easiest companies to work with. We actually get a response. You Mm -hmm. take care of us. Um, and then other times we've like, as a purchaser, we've been left totally high and dry with like, we got our butts handed to us last year with helmets. We could not find helmets for our life that were actually in stock. Lots of people wanted to sell us helmets, not a lot of people actually wanted to provide them once they were paid for. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a unfortunate aftershock of the current just job market in general. And just, I mean, we paid people to not work for the last <laughs> couple of years. Yeah. Uh, I think it shows in some areas. Do you think we'll hit a point soon where the spending trend really starts to slow down and there's a bit of a concern in the market or do you think we kind of ride this one out? Uh, In my uneducated opinion, I would say that, and this isn't, I'm sorry, this isn't going to super answer your question, but I think there's two routes. Mm. If things don't get better, I think people are going to really tighten down on their pocketbooks after they buy what they, whatever they deem to be the essentials. Uh Uh-huh. And unfortunately, I think we're trending that way. And I think that's why people are saying, look, I'll just buy the really nice thing right now because I don't know if I can get it in six months. Yeah. My hope and desire is that people have a little bit of restraint. And but also, I mean, if everyone stops spending, then the whole market suffers. You know, that's a basic economics. Yeah. Um, My hope is that people can be mature and wise with their spending. Um but I am fearful that we're either going to hit a wall where nobody spends anything or people are just going to go out in a ball of flame to buy everything they need and then um, get stuck with 25% APR. Mm -hmm. That's the big dilemma is that people can't just stop spending money. Right. Because everything breaks down at that point. But everybody can't necessarily continue to spend money at the way that we are because then it breaks down in a completely different fashion. Yes. Um yeah, I, I have, even my, my personal self, I have at this point resort, resorted to only buying gear that I have immediate cash on hand for. It's not like, oh, I get paid mm-hmm. on Friday, I'll go ahead and buy it. It's like, do I have cash for it right now? My uh, So our shipping guy, Garrett, he's uh, he picks on me a lot because I, firearms is one of my, my hobbies, my passions. I like working on them. I like, uh, and, and you saw at, the deliver fun range day. I mean, I showed up with a black powder cap and ball revolver just to, to be funny. <laughs> um, so I shoot things that go all the way back to the mid 1800s, all the way to like what came out last week. And, but I don't make enough money to buy and keep all those that I want to mess with. So I end up doing a lot of trading. Mm. And so he's like, he'll grill me about, you know, you've only had that for like eight months. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I realized that it doesn't work and I need to replace it with whatever, uh, system it may be better whatever like maybe there's a better optic or it, it fits this you know my needs better 
And that means I'm going to have to do some some browsing on TaxSwap and find somebody to, you know, trade with and such because it's just it's unhealthy to <laughs> to just blow through all your money and not have some backup somewhere. Yeah, for sure. I know. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing, especially with like nods. Oh my gosh. Nods is the hottest topic on on the internet at any yes. given point in time of the day. I like the point you had on your post though that from a couple of days ago of like, look, what, did you? Feed yourself and water yourself. <laughs> but you can swing it see in the dark. I know there's <sighs> social media can be unhealthy in that way because some people make it seem like things should just be that easy, such as buying knots. Like, what do you mean right. you can't buy knots? Right. Everybody can buy knots. You just need to do it. It's like, that's, that's not really real. Like <laughs> that is not a reality. <laughs> well, if you, so, um, I can't, I don't want to throw like the institution out, but my dad works for a financial institution. Mm. And there was one specific story that he shared with us where some, somebody came in asking for a loan for a boat and they did the math on this person to find out their, you know, credit limited rates and everything. And they, he is not in a position that he should have to go deal directly with the customers, but he ended up doing it and was like, dude, this monthly payment will exceed the amount of money that you make. You will be borrowing to feed your family. And the guy's like, yeah, well, I need this boat. <laughs> like, no, you don't need this boat. Get a kayak for 200 bucks and, and paddle out in the middle of the lake. If you want to have fun in the lake, like, your kids need to eat. <laughs> That's crazy. How much was the boat? <laughs> I have no idea. Was, I, my guess is it was probably a fifteen to $20,000 boat, and he probably wanted to pay it off in three years. This is my guess. I don't... The, I, the, big, the biggest mistake I ever made was I, I did not buy my Nods cash. I did not do it. Uh, I will openly admit it, and that was a mis... Not necessarily a mistake that I did, but I wouldn't suggest others to do it. So right at the beginning of 2020... COVID had already started and all that. I was completely debt-free right after I got out of the Marine Corps. I had paid off all my credit cards. I was I was debt-free. I was like, what about this? that Camaro that you had to buy as an obligatory? Oh, uh, that 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 got pawned when I filed for bankruptcy. The first time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I was completely debt-free in like it was like May of 2020, and then the Fourth of July came around, and everybody's doing their Fourth of July sales. Oh yes. And in my mind, I was like, I'm completely debt-free. I can be responsible. I can do this. I will go ahead and buy my PVS-14 with my credit card, and I'll pay it off in like six to eight months. Mm -hmm. Easy peasy. Done. Well, that did work out that way. <laughs> I, I, I did buy the nods with a credit card. However, I did not pay it off in six to eight months. Uh, the job market got really tough, and uh -huh. spending was not controlled on a day-to-day -day fashion like it should have been. And it kind of put me into a hole for a while until I was like, oh, wow, I'm in a hole. And then <laughs> I went from being completely debt-free to broke with nods. And I was like... You did exactly what you always said. Not to do. <laughs> you did it. I there, there, there's nothing necessarily wrong with buying nods with your credit card because you got you have to spend part of your credit limit to build good credit in a sense. Right. But you've got to have you got to have good you got to have good discipline moving forward to just make sure you pay that off and don't build on that credit even more. Right. Because, like, for me, 
I just got out of the Marine Corps. So in my mind, I was still making full-time pay. I was like, oh, I can pay this <laughs> off. But then I very quickly transitioned into part-time pay while going to the fire academy. So then I was not making the same amount every month. Hence, I was not putting the same amount on my credit card every month while food and gas was skyrocketing. And your base was, expenses. Yeah, um, and completely totally changed. Different. Yeah. So that was a dumb bro vet boot mistake of myself. Hey, so, I can, uh, I'll sympathize with you for a minute. We, so I um, got married in 2019 and the Marine Corps rebuilt my left knee about two months after we got married. So great, like, you know, congrats, you can't walk. Um, have fun being married. Mm-hmm. Right before that, I had, <clears throat> within a year, I had just bought my truck, which I didn't have at the range day, but it's a 93 uh, Ford F-350. It's like my dream truck. Um, and so I had just bought that. And then I bought a very expensive ring and then I, we bought a house and then we paid for a large part of our wedding. So I went from being a financially stable (laughs) young adult to, wow, I have very little money left in my bank account. And then I had the surgery and then COVID happened right as I was getting um, into like a recovery position where I could start, you know, getting better. And because of the glorious DOD and how they handle paperwork, I ended up paying out of pocket for three months on my physical therapy. So you can guess what that did three times a week for Mm. three months to the little savings that were floating around. (laughs) It's crazy how stuff like that happens right after you like take care of stuff you may not have needed to take care of like right then and there. Right. Much smaller, much smaller example back right around black Friday. I had just right after black Friday, I just got my holiday bonus check from the firehouse. And after I bought Christmas presents and put a little into savings and my wedding fund and all that, I had some money left over and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and get the generator that I've been wanting. I wanted a generator for the house <laughs> since I am a homeowner now. I was like, I'm going to go get the generator. So I bought a $450 generator. Two weeks after that, I need to make an addition to the chicken coop, which was $500 in lumber. And then my laundry room roof started freaking leaking on me. And I was like, <laughs> damn it, where I need this money now, but I already have the generator. <laughs> It's just crazy how stuff like that happens in life. Like you just, it catches you. That's we, we like looking at what we can get and we forget about what can happen to us. And so quickly our lives can go from (laughs) totally fine. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's a really fast reminder. (laughs) Well, at least when the world comes to an end, we'll all have a bunch of really cool gear. Yeah. We can sit around the fire that we started and, and (laughs) since we all practice fire starting. Yeah. (laughs) Practice no, we'll, your fire starting, kids. We're going to bring Blake out. Um, <laughs> and we'll just reminisce about when we could buy cool gear. And then we'll just sit there and drink our last bottle of water that we forgot to buy more of. <laughs> uh, so I guess just as a random talking point, you talk about water. Have you been seeing everything that's been going on with like East Palestine? Oh, yeah. Um, I actually had some friends reach out to me from way back in like – some of the Marine Corps training days, some of the guys from my platoon that reached out like, Hey, I think I remember you were in Ohio. Are you doing okay? 
Mm. Um, it's crazy. I mean, and again, I'm not a, I'm not an EPA guy. I don't really know what, and I'm not a um, chemical degreed or anything, but it seems to me like if you had chemicals like that spilled, you would use some type of base agent to negate some of their effects. Mm-hmm. And instead, torching it <laughs> seems like it'd be the the very lowest of the low options. Um, considering we're not supposed to just burn any type of chemicals. I mean, do you throw batteries in a fire to dispose of them? I couldn't imagine living in that 20 to 25 mile radius around East Palestine right no, now. Not at all. Especially seeing the cloud pictures from like airplanes and stuff. It's astounding how big that plume is and how much it covers. Even all of like the wildlife and livestock that is dead. <clears throat> yeah. I really, so I am a, I like to see from people that I can like verify. And I'd really like to find someone who is in that area and be like, dude, go get me some pictures and videos because I feel like on social media, there's just so much trash and hype that people like to do. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some videos coming from it, but I really would like to get someone who we can like actually trust. Who's like close enough to go take a look as a chicken man. <laughs> I, I saw <laughs> hell of a way to start a sentence as the chicken man. I, I saw a video yesterday or the day before <clears throat> this woman's chicken. She went out to check on her chickens and, she lived in the neighborhood next East Palestine off of one of the major creeks or whatever. Yeah. Yes. All of her chickens were all in like the same position, like kind of laying on their side, just like dead. And they, they weren't eaten by predators. Like nothing had happened. They all literally just fell over. I couldn't imagine walking outside and just all of my chickens being dead. No, that'd be, I mean, it'd be frightening. I can't, I I want to get out of there as fast as possible. I was reading some of the like farms were taking all of their, cattle away and like 77 cattle at one one specific farm were all just getting herded up and getting out of there because they didn't want to i mean it's people's livelihood you can't mm-hmm. i'd be doing the same thing i right. hope that they have some kind of solution for this because it's a nightmare so uh, for those that don't know train derailments are actually more common than people know <laughs> it's just the hazardous material just de- derailments that is not common because normally there is more uh, precautions that are taken if things are clearly labeled and tracked as hazardous. Yes. But of course, this was one of those situations where that did not occur. But I, so, and I think the weirdest part about this is, is that you know we had that one in East Palestine, which was February third, I believe, and then over the past three days we've had two other major trains derail yeah. one hazardous and then we had the semi truck with i think it was nitric sulfur or something like that in arizona <laughs> that like spilt all over the highway yesterday it's just weird we live in weird times it's i mean i've never so when i got out of the marine corps and i had turned in all my gear i was like well crap i don't have a plate carrier um and so i went out and like bought one and because i'd didn't have one of the like safety tools I was used to having. And now I'm like looking at I mean, gas masks. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I never thought I would really be that concerned about it. But I mean, if it's some pretty messy chemicals, like I read through some of the reports on what was on the trains and then what they later found out mm-hmm. as I guess the initial report didn't include all of the actual items. And that stuff is nasty. No wonder things are dying. Um, and then to have it right by a river, just, convenient right and i you know i live along the high river 
being here in northern Kentucky, you know, all yeah. of us down here, both on the like the Cincinnati and the northern Kentucky side, we we all get our water from the Ohio River. Yeah. I've had my mirror safety gas mask for a while from since I did the review on theirs, but even me and all my local guys, we did like a group order from mirror safety yesterday and bought a lot more filters <laughs> and whatnot. Cause so I'm just like, it's just like what we talked about earlier. Like something happens. They're like, Oh, time to buy gear. Right. <laughs> and I'm in, I'm in Columbus. So, and I know like my water, it goes through a treatment facility and it does not come from the Ohio river, but I still feel like it's going to be worth my time to actually test our water just to be safe. I mean, I'd rather, and I've got some family in the area that we have wells at those houses. So those, especially I want to keep an eye on just with like the rainfall that's been, cause we've had rain a couple of times since that yeah. burn luckily, happened. Luckily we live West of that. So if rain yes. comes East to West, something really weird has changed. <laughs> um, yeah. Thankfully I'm in the same type of, I'm, I'm kind of out of the way as far as it should go, but we're also not too far away. So I don't, I'm curious as to to see how this affects those that live east of East Palestine. Like mm-hmm. once you get over the mountain range, right? Hopefully, the you know, like the rainfall doesn't really affect everybody that that harshly there. Yeah, it's I I don't know much about it as far as how that all interacts with clouds and rain and such, but it it does not seem pretty. And I've actually heard it a couple times now called the like American Chernobyl. I've heard um, that a few times as well. It's an interesting concept. Yeah. I hope it's not that bad. That would be, <laughs> be, really be awful. Yeah. I mean, they only quarantined a mile around it initially. So I, I think uh, Chernobyl got a little bit more than that. <laughs> well, Dan, is there any other kind of like big industry or kind of gear topics you want to hit on or anything else you had on your mind throughout the podcast? Yeah. Um, I will just throw this little... Um, because I've, I've listened to some of your other podcasts and mm-hmm. there's a couple things that stood out because a couple of the people are involved in some of the stuff that we're doing. Um, and I think your, your listeners might enjoy this and uh, be intrigued in the process. So my baby right now with our company is aside from my normal work is bringing a new placard out. Mm-hmm. And I was super blessed to go to the green beret range day that dylan ruth hosted and um, that's where i ran into justin from arch angel gotta make sure you point that out for him he gets picky about that (laughs) um and so dylan's got this like baby of a design that he wants it's like been in his mind for years and he's talked to the guys from Orion Training, and he's talked with Blake pretty extensively. And so him and I have been chatting about this design, and we actually got it approved through my company as one of our like projects for this year. So we are now in the design and development phase of this new um, placard type. And it's I'm really excited to see where it goes, especially with having um dylan's uh, like output and opinion and blake's and jared's and um justin really wants to he's messaging me about getting a sample as well and um it's exciting to kind of see like the community that we've you know met and gotten to know over all these different range events and training events Mm -hmm. all coming together on a project and and bringing something to market that is on their heart 
and that they're looking forward to. So keep an eye out. It's, uh, I mean, we're just starting it, so it probably won't be until the end of this this year, early next year, that it actually becomes truly a, a, like a product that's released. But it's exciting to see where that's going, and I'm sure you'll see some some parts of it floating throughout our media and such. But it's a community project, so. I mean, if you've got output and other people have output, I'm, you can always shoot me a DM or something. I'm more than happy to um, see what you know the community needs in this platform and kind of bridge some ideas that, that don't exist into it. Awesome. Definitely, everybody keep an eye out on that. I, I very much appreciate the kind of like layouts of placards and platforms and kind of like how they equip or give the options to uh, the wearer of it. So I'll definitely keep an eye out on that. Oh, yeah. Um, and hopefully I can get to see you again at the Deliver Fund day this year or whatever event Justin <laughs> decides to uh, support this year. I know he says he might do something different. He doesn't know if he'll do Deliver again. Whatever range day Justin puts on, the Justin range right, day. The Justin range day. That yeah. should be the name of it. I and like just, that. And just underneath of it is the organization, like in like italicized <laughs> small, of whatever we're supporting print. that year. Right. Very small, tiny print. Well, hopefully I can make it out to some of your classes because I Chris has spoken very highly about what you guys put on, and um, obviously having met you guys too, I I know the quality we'll get. Yeah, Chris was at our very first class ever, actually, too. So he got the dry run. Oh, yeah. Well, you must have really impressed him with that then. Chris, if you're listening, if you're listening, I miss you. <laughs> I know we're tr- we're trying to push hard to get into Ohio. I just have not had good luck with as far as like scheduling with facilities and whatnot. But I, because I've had multiple people in Ohio message me about classes, guys. I am trying to get on the <laughs> Ohio, trying to get into Ohio. Um, Ohio is not trying to get with me, so working right. on that. Well, um, we can chat offline on this, but we've got some some places that maybe of help for that i'll have to i'd have to clear it with our upper level staff but um awesome yeah we can chat that could help about that well dan uh thank you for coming on the podcast man hopefully this gives everybody a little bit better of an idea and some insight as to the behind the scenes of how the gear and industry world really kind of works yeah thanks for having me on i i'm honored didn't know what i was getting myself into hey you did great for your first time man (laughs) I don't know if you've heard that before, but you did great for your first time. You know what? We don't have to go there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. That's all I've got for episode 18, Industry and Development. As always, train hard, train often. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward Strength in numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down